Well, it is the Christmas season, and all morning we have been hearing songs that remind us of Christmas, that tell the story of Christmas. It's fun to see the children singing their parts in the Christmas service. We come in and we see the building decorated for Christmas. No doubt your homes are decorated for Christmas. We're making preparations for next Tuesday, right? Next Tuesday? How many days left do I have to finish? (laughs) This is a special time of year. Uh, It it really is one of my favorite seasons, and uh, I I, I trust that you are enjoying this year, uh, this time, this season of remembering Christ's first coming, waiting for his second coming. We enjoy the festivities and traditions that go along with this time of year, and then it's also a time of year that brings out an interesting paradox. Uh, it's a time of year that uh, we, we remember, we have all these memories of Christmases of years past, and we have these expectations of what Christmas should be this year, and we work so hard to create that perfect Christmas hallmark uh, memory, and rarely does it work. It rarely works. Uh, all of our efforts to create things that are perfect and right and good Uh, rarely does it happen the way that we hope. Uh, And especially when you start throwing grief into the mix and memories of Christmas past maybe aren't pleasant. Uh, Maybe there's a a chair that's empty at the table and so memories of uh, the, the, the present Christmas that you're going through is nothing like memories of Christmas past. And so it's this interesting paradox of what we know we want to be right and good Uh, and yet what we actually experience doesn't seem to fit. So I want you to wrestle with that tension this morning because there's there's hope for us in that. But I also want to uh, to speak to you this morning, uh, and those of you that are here that are believers in Jesus Christ, that you know who God is, you are a Christian, I want us to worship the truth of, of the incarnation. What I mean by that is God becoming man, God taking on flesh, God being born as a baby. I hope for us as Christians that truth is encouraging, but I also know there's another group of people here this morning. Those that uh, you may not put yourself in the category of Christian. Perhaps you are skeptical of this whole thing. Perhaps you are here because you wanted to see the cute children who were performing their numbers, and we're glad that you're here. But perhaps you're not sure if you buy into all of this, or perhaps you're searching Perhaps you're not ready to call yourself a Christian, but there's no animosity. You're just searching and you're wanting to sort this out. Perhaps some of you are questioning. Perhaps some of you are doubting. Perhaps some of you, this is the first time you've thought of these kinds of questions. And so we're glad you're here this morning because I want you to think about this. Because to be honest, what we believe as Christians and the Christmas story and the truth of the gospel that God himself became man, lived on this earth, died on the cross as a way to provide payment, a way to provide uh, forgiveness for our sins, for my sins, for your sins, so that any who would turn from their sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ could find hope and eternal life and forgiveness. That truth of the gospel, the truths of scripture that are represented in this Bible, if we were to be honest this morning, some of these things that we believe as Christians, they're hard to wrap our minds around. If we were to be honest, some of them are difficult to believe. At times we even wonder, how can that be true? 
And for some of you here this morning, it might be keeping you from believing the truth of the gospel because some of these things that we believe, just take not even everything in scripture, just take the person of Jesus Christ. And we believe some things that are hard to wrap our minds around about the person of Jesus Christ. Take the Trinity, for instance, this idea that there is one God He's fully existent in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are not the same, but they are all fully God. If any of you can wrap your mind around that, come talk to me afterwards. I'd like you to write a book so I can read it and understand it. That's a hard truth, right? We also believe that Jesus, think of the miracles that he performed as he walked on this earth. We believe that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and he walked on this earth, and he performed miracles. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He healed people. I mean, those are hard truths to wrap your mind around. We believe that he died on the cross. He spent three days, three nights in the tomb, and he rose again, what we celebrate on Easter. We believe that a man who was dead is now alive. That's a hard truth to wrap your mind around. Not only do we believe that a man who was dead is now alive, we believe that that previously dead man who's now alive is someday going to show up in the clouds, and he's going to bring us home. That's a hard truth to wrap your mind around, perhaps even hard to believe. And perhaps some of you are skeptical this morning. But of all those truths, there's perhaps an even more fundamental truth that's the most difficult to wrap your mind around, perhaps the most unfathomable, maybe that's the way to put it. There's this truth that if if you can believe it, if you can put your faith in it, if you can believe that, yes, this is really true, it resolves all those other tensions that I believe. Here's the most, perhaps one of the most difficult truths as some authors talk about it. It's this truth that the God of the universe became man. It's what we celebrate this time of year at Christmas, the truth of the incarnation, that God himself took on flesh without giving up any of his deity, without giving up any of the things that made him God, he took on human flesh. And God entered our world. The creator entered the creation. Why? And for what purpose? And if you believe it, It solves those other tensions, and it gives us the hope that we need. And I want to look at some of these scriptures with you this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, which is the passage that Kevin started by reading, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to start. And you can stay in that this morning, stay in Philippians 2. I've got a few other verses that we're going to put on the screen, and you can follow along there. But I want to look at Philippians chapter 2 together, and I want you to think about this unfathomable truth That the God of the universe, the one who is greater and higher than all others, the one who created all things, took on lowly flesh and through his birth entered into our world. But not just his birth. We're going to look at his birth, his life, and his death. And you're going to see God's willing humility that the creator of the world took on flesh, entered our world, lived a life of humble service, died a lowly death, and what that means for us. So look at Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 5, and here's what it says. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So there was a certain attitude that Christ had that ought to be ours as well. And he says this in verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's what Paul is saying in these verses is that Jesus, Jesus had this attitude that though he himself was fully God, he didn't count that as something that he had to cling to. He was willing to enter our world. He was willing to take on human flesh. He didn't give up any of the things that made him God, but he lowered himself. He took on humanity and he entered our world. And he, he, he took on a lowly birth. He took on the life of a servant and he was willing to die on the cross. I want you to think about this, of what this means, that the God of the universe... The Creator entered creation. And if you know the Christmas story, you know some of these truths well. Where did He show up? How did He enter our world? Well, it was very unremarkable. He, there was no fanfare. There was no publicity, so to speak. It was Bethlehem of all places. This little town of Bethlehem. And the rooms were full because everyone is there for a census. And there's no place even for this young girl, this virgin girl who's there with her betrothed, and she's pregnant, and the time has come, and there's nowhere for her to deliver this baby. And so in the midst of animals, as she's there, and whether it was a stable or a cave or wherever it might have been, and Jesus is born. The Creator enters creation in this lowly place. She takes the baby and lays him in a trough, in a feeding trough. There's no bed for the king of the universe. He made the universe. You try to wrap your mind around that, that in the sovereignty of God, why he chose to enter this. If I was the king, if I was most powerful, and I was about to announce my presence to all, I would probably reserve a room for myself at a five-star hotel, right? I probably would have done it at a point in human history that every single camera in all of existence would simultaneously broadcast my presence so that everyone knows, right? How's the announcement made? To shepherds, shepherds of all people, unclean shepherds out on the hillside. These angels come and they pronounce the glorious birth. Think about this lowly, willing entrance into humanity that here's the God of the universe and he enters into our world and he doesn't cling to the things that make him God. In reflecting on this passage and in writing on this truth, Paul Tripp says this. He says, the loving generosity of the Father made him willing to send his Son from the glories of his perfectly holy place to the broken, dysfunctional environs of earth. And the Son didn't resist the call. He didn't fight for what was rightly his. He didn't negotiate the terms. And he didn't counter with a list of demands. I love how Paul captures it here. Jesus, quote, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You and I should be thinking right now, praise God, praise God, praise God that he didn't. 
If Jesus had wrapped his fists around his rightful position of absolute equality with God, you and I as sinners would be without hope in life and in death. If Jesus hadn't been willing to make earth his destination, we would have no hope whatsoever of the new heavens and the new earth being our final destination. Can you wrap your minds around that truth? That the God of the universe, the one who was creator, was willing to leave all the comforts that were rightly his, all of that position, and authority and to take on human flesh and to be born in such an insignificant way and to be, have his birth announced. Why? Because he was here to bring hope. He was here to bring a message of truth. He was here to offer his very self. You see, this truth about his birth and the fact that the creator entered creation in such a lowly, willing, humble way that's not true of just his birth. It's true of his life as well. He, he, he was found in the form of a servant. And through his life, he demonstrated that. His servant attitude and his servant mindset. That here, the king of the universe did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's the way Mark puts it. I want you to see it in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What a great truth that, that Jesus Christ entered this earth. He lived on this earth not to be served, though he rightfully deserved to be. And one day we will spend all of eternity serving him. But while he was on this earth as a human, he served others. You see that in his life. You see that in the way that he lived. In places of scripture, it says that Jesus described himself as nowhere to lay his head. That he, he went from place to place, town to town, ministering essentially homeless because he wanted to share this good news with others. You see it in the way that he ministered to others, that he ministered to the to the crowds, that he ministered to the downcast, that he ministered to those on the outskirts of society, and he lived a willing servant life. And why? Th this matches up with his birth in the way that he entered this humble, human, lowly form. He lived a life of servitude. He lived a life serving and ministering to others. And all of this was for a reason. He entered this earth and we celebrate the events of Christmas. We remember his first coming for a very specific reason. Because all of his life was marching to his death. All of his life was leading up to the events that we remember and celebrate on Good Friday and Easter, to his death and his resurrection, that Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because Jesus Christ came to this earth ultimately to die. And that's the phenomenal truth of the incarnation. That the God of the universe, the creator, enters creation, takes on human flesh to give his life, to die so that you and I might live. And I want you to see some of these scriptures, even as if, if you're still there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, and I'll read this for you, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You understand what Jesus Christ was accomplishing in his death? The creator of the universe, the one who was ultimately rich beyond anything that we can comprehend, and not just in a financial measure there. It would include that, but otherwise. That, that he became poor. He took on flesh. He, and he did that so you and I might experience true riches. Life and forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. And why did this happen? We could go through the story of Good Friday and Easter, and we could go through the crucifixion story, and you see that the crowd arose in a mob, and they got angry with him, and, and, and they crucified him unjustly. And yet you could look at it and say, perhaps this was a great human mistake, that things went horribly wrong, but it wasn't a mistake. It was all part of God's plan. He willingly knew this and did this. John chapter 10 verse 18 speaks to this where Jesus uh, in describing his own death, John 10:18 says, no one takes it from me, that is his own life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Here's the truth that Jesus Christ willingly entered this earth. He willingly took on flesh and was born as a baby, but he willingly marched to the cross. He willingly laid his life down so that you and I could become rich, so that we would have our sins forgiven, so that you and I would know what that means to experience that kind of a relationship with God where our sins could be forgiven, where our relationship with God would become right again, where what was set wrong by sin would be put in order again. I want you to think about this connection between what we celebrate at Christmas and what we celebrate at Easter through this quote by J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, and he says this, the crucial significance of the cradle at Bethlehem lies in its place in the sequence of steps that led the Son of God to the cross of Calvary. And we do not understand it till we see it in its context. The key text in the New Testament for interpreting the incarnation is not therefore the bare statement in John 1:14, quote, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, but rather the more comprehensive statement of 2 Corinthians 8, 9, quote, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here is stated not the fact of the incarnation only, but also its meaning. The taking of manhood by the Son is set before us in a way which shows us how we should ever view it, not simply as a marvel of nature, but rather as a wonder of grace. You know, the incarnation, the fact that God became flesh, the fact that God willingly entered this earth, that he willingly lived as a servant among us, and that he willingly marched to the cross to give his life in place of ours, that's a wonder of grace, a free gift that we don't deserve. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he enter this earth as a baby and why did he have to die? You see, that that story is called the gospel. That truth helps us, the gospel helps us understand why it was that Christ gave his life. And the truth and reality is that when God created the world because he is creator and because he is ruler of the world, he gets to say how life works. And he put man in the garden in Genesis chapter 1 
And originally everything was perfect and good and functioning as it should. But then sin enters the picture and Adam and Eve decide that they don't want to follow God's commands. They don't want to live with God in charge of their life. And so ultimately they'd rather set their own rules. And so they partake of the one fruit of the tree that they're not supposed to. And ultimately, that's what sin is. It's a, it's a climbing into God's throne and taking a place that only he rightfully deserves. All of us have done that. It isn't just Adam and Eve. All of us have decided, you know what? I really don't want God in charge of my life. I don't want to live life according to God's rules or the Bible's rules or anyone else's rules. I'd, I'd rather live my own way. And so we do things that are unkind. We do things that are untrue. We, we push God out of the way and try to run and rule our own lives. And you know what the result of that is? Sin and death. And we see it all around us. We... we, we you can't turn on the news without realizing that the world isn't working very well. We don't do very well at ruling ourselves. We try, and all we create is chaos, right? And, and, and this time of year in particular, when we see things that aren't right, and when we see sin, and we see death, and we see brokenness, it hurts, and we become weary and there can be this doubt. Some of you struggle to know if God is true and some of you struggle to know if you want to believe in the Christmas story because you see all of that brokenness and hurt and you've experienced it. And what I want to remind you is remember what you're seeing. You are seeing life played out apart from God. You're seeing things break down and fall apart because of sin. And, and so don't doubt the Christmas story because of that. Rejoice in the Christmas story. The Christmas story is the one thing that has a chance of putting things right again. And I don't say chance in terms of some mystical maybe it's going to come true. I'm saying this is our hope and our confidence, right? That because God entered this world as a baby and he willingly lived and he willingly marched to that cross and he rose again conquering death and one day he will return. And that's the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel says that if you and I continue to live our lives apart from God, going our own way, we will die and spend an eternity separated from God. But the truth of the gospel says that if we put our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we realize that we are sinners, that only what Christ accomplished on the cross can pay for our sins. And we turn from our sin and in faith we believe in Jesus Christ alone and we call on Him for salvation and that's eternal life, forgiveness, hope in a world that desperately needs it. Because what we need most is not for the pain of this world to be gone. We need our, the punishment of our sins separating us from God to be taken care of. And God's provided that through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice in those truths that this is what the incarnation means for us. And so let, let's go into application. What does the truth of this mean for us? And, and, and I started speaking about it. First of all, there is a hope, right? I talked about that. And this is different than, boy, I hope my favorite football team wins this week, which I got that prediction wrong last week. This is different than that kind of hope. This is like a solid, bedrock, confident, 
Yeah, I take it to the bank. This is true. Listen, brothers and sisters, and those of you especially, especially those of you who, like, this is the most painful Christmas you're going to go through because of the brokenness and suffering and sin that you see in the world. Remember, don't throw away the celebration of this Christmas. Yes, there will be tears. Yes, there will be sorrow. But this message that we celebrate, this brings hope. Like, this is going to make everything right that our relationship with God can be made right. So celebrate and cry and rejoice, right? Because sometimes we look at the suffering and we say, if God is good, how can this match up? Like, this can't be. What I think I know about God can't be true of, of, of God if this is the hurt that I see. Well, I want to encourage you that this Christmas season, think about this truth that Jesus Christ entering this world as a human being, this is one of the greatest answers to the problem of evil that exists. Andreas Kossenberger in his book, The First Days of Jesus, he said this, God was born as a baby, he grew as a human being, and walked this earth as a man. This historical reality represents perhaps one of the strongest responses to the problem of evil. Rather than remain aloof and distant, God entered our world of pain, frailty, vulnerability, suffering, and death, and he walked alongside us in every way and endured the full fury of evil, oppression, and injustice. When we suffer and when we have to watch those who we love suffer, we do so knowing that God suffered alongside us and on our behalf in order to rescue us from suffering and provide an eternal home with no tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who did not stay aloof. Though so much greater than us, he did not just leave us on our own to wallow in our own self-pity. No, he took on flesh. He entered into this world and he suffered and he died to provide salvation from sins. And that gives us hope in the truest sense because we know that one day he will return and all wrongs will be made right. So celebrate that hope. Even, even, and especially when you see the tension of not everything right, right now. This is the story that will one day put everything right. And so celebrate it. There's a second point of application that I want you to think about. Just for those of you that are believers, that you have your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, worship at this reality. Worship at who Jesus Christ is. And if you're here this morning and you've never come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've never come to the place where you realized you're a sinner and apart from God, I, I plead with you that you need to turn from your sin and trust in Christ for salvation. This, everything we celebrate this Christmas is the truth that you need for a right relationship with God. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ from salvation. There's no way that you can be made right with God apart from this baby who took on flesh, who lived and who died and rose again. You need his forgiveness. You need the blood that he shed on that cross as a covering for your sins. And what a beautiful truth that is. Would you turn from your sins and trust in Christ? In Luke chapter 2, it says that when the angels announced the birth of Jesus Christ to the shepherds, 
They, they rejoiced and they said to one another, come, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing. They, they wanted to watch it. They wanted to observe. They wanted to go and to see. And, and, and I'm, tell, I'm pleading with those of you that don't know Christ as Savior. You, you need to see this. You need to see Jesus. And not just see him, but, but turn from your sins and trust in him. Worship him. Realize who he is. That invitation is not just for the shepherds to come to Bethlehem and to see, but in a sense, it's the invitation to all of us. We're going to close by singing, O come all ye faithful. In the closing stanza of, that we will sing, it closes by saying, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. That, that Jesus Christ, the Word, was sent of the Father, and he appeared in the flesh as a baby. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let us worship him. And if you don't know him as Savior, turn from your sins. Trust in Christ for salvation. You can cry out to God and talk to him in your heart right now where you are. You can speak with one of us afterwards. We would love to share the truth of this message with you. Father, we come to you. We are so grateful for this hard to wrap our minds around truth that you as God would become man, that you would take on flesh. We rejoice in that truth. Thank you, Father, for doing this. If there be any here who don't know Christ as Savior, may they turn from their sin and trust in Christ's work on the cross. May you bring hope to many here this morning, true hope of what this message that we celebrate this time of year means. Encourage us with it, we ask and pray in Christ's name, amen.